events that go on and finding out what's happening. Opportunities to volunteer and work with us. Well, why don't you go? Why don't we talk about the hub just now? If you tell me all like how it started and um... okay. <laughs> okay, so the the Herb Society um, started out really due to a woman called Hilda Lale, who um, was planning to be a doctor, but married somebody and had two children and realised she couldn't continue in the profession she had chosen to go into. But she learned, of course, during that time that um, medicine came from plants and that for centuries people had had to learn about plants and learn the botany side. Um, and that's where the early physic gardens came from. Um, and the one of the first being in London, of course, the Chelsea Physic Garden. So it was to teach physicians, as they were then called, how to learn about plants. Before that, of course, you had all the different canons and monks who used to treat people who couldn't afford to pay and all sorts of situations. But Hilda was um, fascinated by the fact that um, there seemed to be a plant for virtually everything. So she built up a huge library and self-taught um, so much information that she, that she learned. And she put it to good use to help the community around her. And she became a herbalist. Um, well, obviously, it was in the 20s, really. And she was looking at, um, um, well, earlier than that, in fact, because she was involved during the First World War and she was involved with the harvesting of herbs to send to the front in the First World War and to teach people, children and adults, how to identify and when was the best time to harvest and dry and, and do everything else. And she helped um, Maud Grieve with her book. She helped her to produce it and um, edit it. And they worked together on that. And that book is still in use today with all herbal medicine students. Um, and it's called The Modern Herbal. So Hilda was very involved right from the word go. And she got very upset when the government decided after the war that pharmaceuticals was the way to go and they wanted to actually stop people having access to herbs and using them and the knowledge of them. Now this has been going on hasn't it really for a very very long period of time. We've all heard about the wise woman and the shamans and all sorts of people being ridiculed, burnt at the stake. So it's, it's centuries of what's actually gone on of trying to stop people doing things in certain ways. And in truth, it still goes on in many ways today around the world, sadly. So when Hilda learned that the government were going to bring out an act to actually stop people having access to herbs, um, that meant some of the um, premises would shop, it would stop rather. It meant that some of the herbalists, whether trained or not, who were helping people in communities wouldn't be allowed to do any more. They would be at risk of imprisonment, fines, all sorts of things. So she got her very influential friends around her because she was a, a woman of um, money and good background, as you would have said in those days. She had influential friends, um, barons and lords and ladies. So she told them what was going on. And they, too, were equally shocked by it and surprised. And they supported her in going to the government, laying out the case as to why it's the people's medicine, always has been, always needs to be and why it's safe in the right hands as well, mm -hmm. and that um, it should not be stopped. And the agreement was that the act would have a clause in it. It would be uh, overturned to a degree, but it would have a clause that the only way that a herbalist could continue to work was like a doctor. 
Well, most already did, and that is having consultations. So it became apparent that the herbalists couldn't just sell products, but they had to actually, or supply products for free, but they had to have consultations first, just like physicians and doctors. And in truth, that was really already happening. So that's how it came in. And Hilda, bless her, decided to open up shops, starting in London, in Baker Street, and she called them the Culpepper House Shops. And they were herb shops. And she was the consultant herbalist behind the shop in the consulting room. And she opened them in many cities, mainly in the South, like Bath and Bristol and various places. And that chain, taking the name of the amazing um, Culpepper, the herbalist, one of our great English herbalists, um, went on for many, many years. Unfortunately, on her death, it was sold off and things changed, just like her library was sold off by her family. Um, we fortunately, as a charity, still have some of her books in our archive, um, but we don't have everything, sadly, because a lot of things change over the time. But Hilda was a real mover and shaker as a woman. She was involved in wartime happenings, education, and she even um, started the National Lottery. <laughs> yes, she had a great idea that um, injured soldiers returning after the war needed support and help. And so she suggested, again, to influential friends, let's run a ballot and generate money. Well, that was the lottery, the golden ballot as such. And um, she generated so many thousands of pounds that on a wealthy landowner's um, home site and, and number of acreage that he had up in Lancaster, she convinced him that it would be a good thing to actually build a village there. And she generated enough income to have 21 houses, roads and all the infrastructure built, including a school and a church and everything else. Uh, and you know what happened? They wanted to imprison her. They said it's against the law to do that and raise money like that. And she was threatened with imprisonment. And again, she went to court and it was swashed. And she was so incensed and so were the rest of the public that she did it again and generated another lot of money and built even more for the village. So she was a huge contributor to communities. And I had the privilege and absolute pleasure of going to the 100-year centenary just a couple of years ago at that village in Lancaster. And it was an absolute joy to see the terraced properties and the semi-detached properties and just a small plaque, that's all they had up, Lael Terrace with her name on. And they wanted to do more and we've created better connections with them once again but what fascinated me being a medical herbalist was to see all the herbs growing in the grass and the medicinal trees that lined all the avenues in the village all lime trees which of course are notoriously used for the nervous system and post-traumatic stress disorder etc so she must have thought that all that well, she Absolute, was, yeah. Absolutely. So she would have uh, influenced the design of the village and what was planted and why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when did she set up the, um, the Herb Society? Well, it was on her death. Um, the Society of Herbalists is what she called it, because with the Government Act, she had to um, invite members. So she had members that could come and then they were able to consult her. That's how it was agreed with the government. So it was a membership situation they didn't pay anything they um, paid for the the treatments as such and the prescriptions 
Um, so it wasn't um, a membership. But on her death, when when things changed, it became a charity. The decision was it must continue. And her knowledge and uh, good work mustn't just be forgotten. It must be continued. And that's when the Herb Society actually started. And it, and it, it formed that name. And then it became run mainly by volunteers. Okay. Yeah, she, that would be, it, that's good that it's continued because she sounds like quite an amazing, you know, forward-thinking yeah. woman. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, we're 95 years on now. So we've not got long before it's the Herb Society's centenary. And like all societies and charities, um, we've toiled over the recent years because life has changed. And people think that charities and um, society work is just for retired people. And it's anything but. This is an educational charity. So it's for, you know, right from birth, right through, because it's a teaching educational charity. Um, and it's a great community to be in. So it's important that we keep it alive. And it's not just for medicine. It's for herbs to grow, to garden, to cultivate. It's for mental health requirements. It's for exercise. It's for crafts. It's for cooking. It's for anything you can do with herbs. So what the, the Herb Society, what do, they, what do they do? Is it? What do we do? Yeah. We, we encourage anybody that works with herbs to be part of our wider community um, and to share knowledge. Uh, so we have a membership magazine, which goes out three times a year to members um, and people that write articles are people in all those different areas of herbs that have an interesting story or information to tell us, uh, whether it be a herbal medicine student and how they're finding the course and what they're learning and what encourage them to go that route whether it be somebody who makes um, beautiful fabrics or artwork out of plants which are dyed by herbs and they've used those as the basis, whatever it may be. Um, so it's, and, and cooks, of course, people who are foraging, you know, bushcraft, all that aspect of it as well. We think it's trendy and it's new, but it's not. These are things that have always been there. It's just that as the new generations come through, it's new information to them. Yeah. So it's a case of reminding people of just you know how wide and varied our life in herbs can be and what a pleasure it is yeah yeah i've done so they get, I've a couple of um, book reviews for the magazine <laughs> you have and we encourage members to do that because we don't just want the same people that are doing it all the time we encourage members to be very actively involved in everything that we do um because like myself you know i might be a trustee for the charity but I also work. I also have my own practice. So, you know, time is of the essence and it's all about timing and interacting with people. And um, I run the Instagram page as well for the charity, which we started just over three years ago. That's how we've met. It's opened up a whole world to us, which uh, we hoped for. And it's gone beyond our wildest dreams, literally. Can't believe how many followers we've got. <laughs> yeah, I know. You have quite a big following. We certainly have, which just shows, doesn't it, that people are interested in what we yeah. say and what we do and, and are learning from it. People tell me they even keep journals from some of the notes and some of the information that we put out. So they're building up the knowledge. Yeah, I know. I do like your Instagram page because there is a lot of information on there. So if people want to check it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, um, it's, it's doing extremely well and it, it keeps me fully occupied because I'm the main person who... Um, does it every day. Um, we now have two more volunteers. We have uh, Matt that does the book reviews and we encourage him to put on what's happening on books and book reviews as well now. And we also have Jocelyn 
who volunteers and she does the blog and coordinates people to write for us for the blog and to advertise when new things have come up and things like that. So we need coordinators and they're all members that volunteer and both of them work as well. (laughs) So volunteers, it's a case if we do it, you know, we have a commitment to do what we do and we love what we do, but it's a case of fitting it in with the rest of our lives. And that's what very... Okay. I was just, just just going to say that's what volunteering is about, really. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, do you have um, like meetups and things as well where people could get together? To meetups, we do we've uh, we have um, an AGM every year, which sadly last year was um, well, it wasn't shelved. We did it for the first time ever on Zoom, but we then planned to have a members' day instead and a fun day. Um, at the same venue um, but again that's not going to happen with the recent announcements so we've had to shelve that once again so even this year things aren't going to happen as we would have hoped um, so it'll be more local things that we're doing as opposed to national things we we find it difficult to do too many national things um, because it's it's bringing people from all around the country to one central point and it's amazing you know you might have a lot of members and a lot of people interested, but um, you'll only get, like in, in all things, um, a core group of people that come to those sorts of events. Because, yeah. of course, it takes time, it costs money, you know, but it's it's a, always a lovely day. The last one we had where we met was at the Waleeda site in Derbyshire. Yeah. And our, our then president was Alice Fowler. And we had a fabulous day. Um, you know, we, we were treated to excellent food uh, with lots of herbs involved, of course. Um, tours of the fields and all the growing all the explanation on permaculture no dig it was absolutely wonderful and the sun shone and um, we, all, we all had a wonderful time and all went home with a goodie bag thanks to our leader as well so the more corporate members which we're now beginning to gain and the more sponsorship we begin to gain the more we can um, treat our uh, members as well and we can have benefits um, because we get no external funding we've never sought it and we try to um cope but of course it, it's a case of balancing the books all the time so we're we're keen to build up our relations again with corporate members and with people that maybe could sponsor us we're not asking for a lot but to be able to treat the members would be nice mm-hmm. and um the education that you talked about then so then is that mostly done online or are they like are there um like uh, local groups that meet up there the used to be local groups there used to be lots of them and for all sorts of reasons people come and go and things change so there are now affiliated groups as opposed to local groups as such that's a very recent change actually rocks that's happening we've always advertised that they're available in the magazine but we've stopped advertising the events that they do because it's down to people to look at their websites or get in touch with their own local groups but it's just a case of being affiliated with us, really, so that people know that they exist and that the, the Herb Society also exists. Because really, they, they run themselves. They do their own thing. And we don't particularly want to be, as, as volunteers on council, we can't do everything for them and yeah. advertise everything that they do. It's down to them to do to their own as such. But there are several. There are several groups around the country that are Herb-associated, no, nature-related, and um, quite a lot of stuff does go on. So it's down to you as members to seek them out. Mm-hmm. And the other stuff that is online, like ed- other education, do you do any things like, I don't know, webinars and stuff for people 
for people that we aren't capitalists that maybe want to join yeah, as well. We haven't done webinars as yet. We've toiled from the fact we've not had enough volunteers to help us on the technical side. Um, and we've just got another person um, involved to help us a bit in that area. But it's like writing a newsletter, which is meant to come out regularly in between the magazines. Um, and it's fallen on the same two or three people to do it. So, again, we've just um, put an announcement out that we need a, a volunteer to help us with doing the newsletter on a regular basis. And that person would then be involved in our meetings that, that we hold as, as council, but with volunteers as well. So um, it, it's, it's reliant on what volunteers come forward and who can support us at the time. So we've not been able to do webinars, sadly, but what we have done is um, built up what we put on the website i mean we've lots of ideas and lots of things we know we could do we just need the hands we need the people with the skill sets yeah. so that's, that's where we're... that wants to come and yeah. join and help absolutely <laughs> we are, yeah we are recruiting <laughs> so if you've got skills and the technical skills we, we definitely need you <laughs> yeah so but that leads us into what what we're planning on doing which is um putting out regular podcasts um yeah about how to grow and harvest herbs which is i'm super excited about that <laughs> yeah well life's very seasonal I, I find i think we've um we have spring summer autumn and winter in, in northern hemisphere in the uk but i'm very much aware and, and really always have been from my childhood that we should live seasonally and it's a lot healthier Mm -hmm. um, and since the onslaught of supermarkets and the 24-7 days that the businesses want to operate, it's all got a bit weird, quite frankly, for people like me who knew, know how life used to be and then how it changed. And it isn't particularly healthy um, because it eats into so many things and it hypes people up to think we've got to be busy, busy, busy all the time yeah. and they've got access to things all the time. So what's happened in the last year um, some of us welcome it because it stopped the self-destruct button which seemed to be happening and it's made people have to stop and think many were fully aware of what was going on and the problems but they weren't really doing anything about it either for themselves or for the wider community certainly for the earth and the, the protection of the planet and now because this has been worldwide it's made people stop and it's made people think but human nature sadly it's quick to just get back on it and yeah. carry on as they used to be. So it's the responsibility of, I think, others of us um, to actually point out the errors of our ways. It's not just down to Richard Attenborough, is it? And um, the team, it's, you know, and the Chris Packhams, it's down to all of us. We've all got skills and knowledge and it's, it's about talking to people and connecting. I think that there has been an upsurge, hasn't there, in um, people interested in gardening and foraging and just going out into nature where, like you said, the pandemic's kind of made people realise how disconnected they were, I think, from all of that and how actually it's actually how important it actually is. Absolutely. How do you keep your sanity if you stay in four walls and you never see people? It's nigh on impossible. But mm. in reality, if you go out every day and you see some daylight, and yeah. you get that interaction and that vitamin benefit that then cascades with all your other vitamins and minerals because nothing works alone. But your mental health improves just by seeing the colour green. The mm -hmm. stats are there. The science is there. But actually, this is knowledge we've known for centuries. Mm -hmm. People that live in the countryside um, that are dealing with other things, um, unless, of course, they're sadly farmers and they're business orientated and they've got the problems that they've got. But many, many people like the gardening world 
have a very different life to somebody who works in a city in an office block. It, it's worlds away. And, and sadly, around the world, so many people have um, gravitated towards the cities because society has encouraged it. China's yeah. a prime example, isn't it? And Japan, they've left the villages. They've left elderly people in villages now on their own. They never used to do that in those cultures. They always looked out for them, lived together, protected them. And now the, their elderly generations are, are isolated and on their own while the youth is working in the cities. Mm-hmm. And having so much cosmetic work done and all sorts of other things as well. <laughs> yeah. And li- living in boxes with no access to outdoor space in a lot of yeah. cases. It, it's, it's very strange, you know, that the, I think sometimes the longer the live, I live, the more you sort of feel like you're turning into your grandmother. And you just think it was very weird and very cynical, but you begin to think, well, I've seen it happen. Well, I'm saying that, I've, I've moved into a house that's pretty much like my grandma's house. <laughs> so it's as near <laughs> as I could get to, to it. So there you go. Maybe I'm turning into my grandma already as well. <laughs> well, well, that's no bad thing. That's lovely. <laughs> those are connections. Those are important things. Those are comforting. That's love. Mm-hmm. It's all important. Yeah. You clearly love your granny. Yeah. <laughs> and where she lived. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think... Um, so obviously, like for some people, you know, they can't necessarily go out of the cities and move everybody move to the countryside because there's so many people now. It would be quite, yeah, there'd be a lot of people then in the country and there wouldn't be much of it left. But I think, you know, there's the possibility of doing things in the city, you know, like if you've got either green, little green space around about you or like herb pots, you know, in your house, just bringing a bit of the nature inside as well. So yeah, there's, I, there's lots you can do, isn't there? Even yeah. with house. Yeah. Um, if you if you look after something, whether it be um, an animal, a child or anything that's living, then you're having a relationship with something else that is dependent on you or that you can interact with. So even a houseplant, that's why we talk to them. That's why we feed them. That's why we nurture them and ensure that they get in the conditions they need for survival. So it's it's the same as everything, really. We are, we are just an extension of nature. We're, we're, we're part of it. And that's what has been forgotten. That's that disconnect that you talked about. And that's the most important message for mankind to realise that actually we're just part of the whole. We're not separate. And we've got to um, respect it and harness it. So even if we live in a flat with, you know, no balcony, we've got a window. Mm-hmm. And we've got, you know, maybe the opportunity to go outside as well and to, and to do other things. And having that daily outdoor activity and connection, even with the dandelion in the crack in the pavement, what pleasure to see it surviving and know that actually it's, it is a survivor and it's coping. And how upset do we feel when we see councils go around and chemically spray then that dandelion? It really hurts. Well, us, we do. Really? I don't know if everybody does, though. Yeah. <laughs> Some well, people, I've said to people about, um, you know, have using dandelions and, you know, eating dandelions and stuff. I think it was my sister, actually, I said it to. And she was saying, oh, dandelions, it just makes me think of um, pesticides and chemicals and fertilizers. And I was like, well, yeah. you know, maybe that's because you should, <laughs> maybe you spray them. Yeah. Or spray them well, this is, where, this is where education is absolutely vital. Because people need to learn to respect every plant on the planet. Everything has a use, you know, uh, all the way up from from the simple blade of grass right through up into the trees. 
everything has a use. It's just our our lack of knowledge. It's our ignorance, sadly. But it's that other disconnect as well, isn't it? Because in, I mean, we would we would in the past we would have thought like talk like like saying talk to the plants, but like maybe I think we used to like chant to the plants when we were picking them and things like that, and we would like mm. communicate with the plants to. I mean, they That's say that, that the way people found the medicine was by communicating with the plants and the plants told them about it. But we don't think yeah. of plants as being sentient, conscious beings anymore. We just think that they're these, because we can't understand them or we can't, they just, they don't move as, as we see them. We just yeah. connect from that. And we, so I think we've become I think them as beings, maybe. Absolutely. As a society, might help. <laughs> we've become like that. We've become blinkered as yeah. a society and we need to take the blinkers off and we need to have eyes wide open and we need to be more open and receptive and, and more accepting mm -hmm. of, of what we've got. And it doesn't matter where we live. There's lots of things around us. Uh, even in the centre of London, you know, people constantly get in touch and say, you know, oh, well, I live in the streets in a flat and et cetera. There's, there's things everywhere. It's just going with that eyes wide open mm -hmm. and, and learning. Yeah. And finding out the, the best thing anybody can do and what they've had to do is get to know their own locality, what's immediately on their own doorstep, what's immediately in their own garden, growing on the balcony, whatever, creeping up the walls. People are beginning to realise that what you've got in your own environment is probably exactly what you need. Yeah. And you can benefit from it. And you can also perhaps get involved and encourage more of nature in your own locality, in your own area. Get involved with community groups. Get involved with maybe guerrilla gardening. Maybe scatter seed of the right sort in the right places. People will be going mad to hear me say that. But in reality, if you scatter the right seed and the right plants in the right place, it can benefit whole communities, not just human, but wildlife and all the other aspects of what we talk about with the bees and the butterflies and the birds. And it's vitally important that we, we stop the chemical destruction, spray everything. Tidy minds don't lead to good nature. They really yeah. don't. Being too tidy. I have an allotment and I see people come in every January, new allotment, and they just strip it. They strip everything out of it and they're just looking at bare soil and then they're delighted with themselves. And I just think, oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, all the life, the bacteria in the soil has been dug up, turned over, disturbed. All the weed seed that's been down in the soil for centuries is now up at the surface and will keep reappearing. They mm. think in January and February they've cleared it and they've got a great start. Oh, my goodness. You've upset the bacterial balance, everything else that's in there. You've got rid of excellent plants that you just can't recognise because you don't know what a bare stick is. You have to wait to see it come into leaf or whatever, in some cases, to recognise it. You know, and the, and the herbs that are popping up out of the soil, it's hard to recognise for some people because it's, it's lack of knowledge again. So they just take everything out. And I, I'm forever saying, but you could be eating that. <laughs> that's, that's your vitamin C. That's your spring detox. That's your clean you don't need to go and pay somebody a fortune your problems with that well then that's what you need and that's why nettles comes in in spring that's the perfect spring clean and they want to remove them but then they would probably go and buy nettle uh, tea from the shop <laughs> why bother <laughs> frankly why bother when it's free yeah. it's easily accessible you can even dry your own you can eat it you can drink it it's tastes good 
It's full of vitamins and minerals. It's the perfect balance of vitamin C and iron. Of all the plants, it's perfect. And so many people are iron deplete and they need more. And yet you can't absorb iron without vitamin C. Mm -hmm. So if you have iron from a chemist, perhaps, that's just iron, it might not do you much good. It might, in fact, constipate you. Whereas if you have it balanced with vitamin C, which is perfectly done already by nature, nettles provided the perfect mix, then you're going to gain. You'll absorb it, you'll utilize it. The body can recognize it. The body recognizes nature better than anything. And just because it's nettles, we shouldn't take them for granted. As gardeners, one of the best plants we can have in the garden and one of the best plants we can use for feed, fertilizer, activators, bringing in the caterpillars that convert into moths and butterflies, education to show people how the different caterpillars and how they live. It, personally, I find it fascinating. And it, it reminds me of my childhood, of what I call nature watching, mm-hmm. observing, learning. And the best in the past in history, the best people that have, are now remembered, the Darwins of the world, were the nature watchers. They were the people who spent a lot of time on their own, just hanging out with things that fascinated them. They'd spend hours doing it. Yeah. Okay, they might have been in a privileged position, but they had that appreciation of observation, of detail and recording, thankfully. I mean, you don't necessarily need to have hours to do it either. It's something like if you're walk, like say if you're walking from an office home or something, you can watch, you know, you usually tend to walk the same way, don't you? So you can watch a plant yeah. as it changes or a tree as it changes through the season. Absolutely. That, you know, that, then you get that observational skill and you connect to the season Absolutely. and what's going on and you can then, yeah, find that connection. Even but it's not just what some people say. I'm so sorry, but can I ask? I must please don't apologize. I'm delighted you've asked. Yeah. Because that ins- that also conveys that they're interested. Yeah. yeah. They've got the inquiring mind, and actually they want they want to know more. Or maybe I've not explained it well enough. And yeah. so I'm glad they've pulled it up and then I can say it again in perhaps in a different way. Relationship with others mm-hmm. and nature is just a huge part of it. So we have to be blinkers off all our senses in our touch taste sight smell sound everything all our, our senses listening is very very important people have noticed the bird song they've noticed less airplanes less cars let's hope that that never returns to what it used to be let's hope life has changed in some areas so which we've all benefited from but let's be aware of bird song let's be aware of those little sparrows or blue tits having an argument in your hedge let's know it's happening yeah because it's so much nicer to hear that than other things but no and that and also the like being more embodied in general you know connecting with Mm. your own body which connects you out to everything else absolutely absolutely for the first time in a long time i could actually hear in a neighbor's garden Um, on a pine tree the cones expanding in the heat and the crack they were making which then they would drop the seed and usually there's so much noise you miss those sorts of things or you perhaps not outside the same but in the first lockdown I could hear that that was lovely yeah it's a bit like when my chickpeas are soaking I can hear them pinging (laughs) and you know it's quite it's quite fascinating Mm -hmm. yeah 
so I wonder if a good place actually to start with the with the growing herbs would would be to talk about how like if you if you get a new allotment or something like that what would you how would you start what would you do to begin with rather than stripping all the weeds and yeah well observation observation of nature which we keep coming back to is the key so it's a bit the same as if you um, buy a house and you've got a garden don't go in and rip it all out there's nothing there's there's no instant garden you know television and media have encouraged it but in reality that's far from reality the best thing we can do is observe for a year that's a whole cycle of the planet so that we see the seasonal shift so that things which may be hidden underground will eventually appear and if we went in there with the digger and the spade and took it all out we might miss the crocus the snowdrops because we might have moved in in the summer and that you can't see them the cyclamen, everything else that's going on, all the other things that are happening, we would miss them. And then, so we have to see everything in a full year. We have to observe for a year. So I, I always advise people, don't do a lot, but watch and appreciate what you've got and find out about what you've got. Because a lot of the time, like on an allotment, things will appear and, and, and novice gardens won't know what they are. Even some quite, you know, people who've had gardens for years, things arrive and they wonder, well, what's that? Mm -hmm. So, again, it's that thing about be a bit more confident to ask, put your hand up and say, can you come over and have a look at this? What do you think? Again, it's back to community. So it's observation and community and it's connecting. So they're the best things that anybody can do is give it a year mm -hmm. and watch and observe. And in yeah. the meantime, tickle things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just find out what there is and and make notes and even take photographs on your phone if that's what you want to do because it's a great way of helping the memory to see where things were and what you want to do and how things change I think when you get a garden a lot you should keep almost keep a journal uh, whether it's be photographic or you make notes of it because how things change over time is 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 quite fascinating it's and quite it's nice to look well, it? because you don't you, don't, you like you said you don't see it at all yeah. you don't know that they're there and everything it changes through the year and then you, you kind of you forget <laughs> you know what's when you come back to plant like, oh well I think there was, there was like a snowdrop there in yeah. spring but now the snowdrops you know is long gone and there's yeah. other plant there instead and you acquire you acquire plants as well or end up buying them or whatever you you, you end up when you think right where am I going to put this and you might put it right on top of some something super that that you can't see, and then it's you've got rid of them again, or you've cut them up or destroyed them. So you you need to really make a note in some way, whether it be a drawing, whether it be photographs, whether it be a journal. I would encourage anybody to do that because it's it's difficult to remember what you ate yesterday, but to remember what was growing in spring and it's now autumn, maybe it's nigh on impossible. And everything grows. People forget that as well. People put little plants in and then they they sometimes are not aware of the speed of the growth and um, and how much space they actually need. Mm -hmm. And that instant garden idea is pack it, make it look packed. And no time at all, 12 months down the line, so many plants will have to come out because it's just, it's too crowded. And then they won't survive. Mm -hmm. So it's about learning right plant right place and and giving them the conditions that they need 
And the, the plants are the teachers. That's how we learn. Mm -hmm. If we observe nature and observe what's going on around us, then we will learn. And that's the best way to learn. So don't rush it, take, up, take time. So then when you're, and we're gonna get, I think we're gonna talk about individual plants as we go along, but in general, so when, you, when you've observed your garden for the year, um, then what, what would be your next go-to starting point? Well, I think compost is crucial. So there's got to be a compost area. Everybody needs an area if it's in the garden where they're living, but also on the allotment, which is like screened off. So you're not necessarily looking at your compost bins unless they're a thing of beauty. But if they're recycled and made out of anything like most of us have, then you might not want to be looking out your lounge window straight on them. Um, so creating areas within the garden in your plan so that you've got areas where you can store things out of view maybe, or you can certainly have a compost uh, of some sort. Compost is absolutely essential. Looking after the soil is the key to all gardening, isn't it? I mean, it's the main, it's the main thing. So the more compost we can generate, um, the, the healthier our patch of land that we're just caretakers of will actually be healthier. And do you have advice for people making their compost? Like, I, I do. Don't do. spend any money. Mm. <laughs> All wood rots down um, and it becomes part of the compost. And there is so much throwaway society right on our own doorstep that we can reclaim and repurpose things. And pallets come to mind. We don't even have to alter them. Just time together with a bit of string or something uh, or hammer them together, whatever. But as long as we've got four sides, that's all we need. And it's quite useful to cover things as well. And you can improvise. It, it, you know, it's, we're as limited as our own imagination in life. And so then, then growing... once you've got your, um, your box for your compost, then how do you yeah. begin, you know, using yeah. your kitchen straps, straps, scraps? <laughs> yeah, always have a bucket of some sort in the kitchen that literally everything goes in apart from um, protein-based uh, meat and fish. And I, I always say don't put lemons and oranges in as well because it depends on your soil acidity um, and alkalinity. So like in our area, we don't put lemons and oranges in, but literally everything goes in there because we're home cooks. We don't buy a lot of things in. So if you've that lifestyle as well, then you are generating some waste. Um, none of it goes in the green bins or whatever colour you have around the UK. <laughs> They're all different colours. But the compost bins, we don't actually put any food waste and drink waste in there. It all goes into our own earth. Um, and all the cuttings back of our plants, we only cut back um, just as spring growth is beginning, as the earth begins to warm up, which is now. We don't do the winter tidy up at all. We leave it standing. We let things hide in it, um, feel safe in it, um, use it, all the seeds and everything. So our tidy up time is when the earth begins to warm and the days begin to lengthen. So sometime in February, like now, we're on it and we, we are beginning to cut back. And all that goes in the compost, all those dry stems, woody bits that people think will never rot down. They will eventually. Let it rot down, put it somewhere where nature can live in it, be protected by it, utilise it and, and other stuff, get it in your compost. So some woody cutting. So if I cut back, say, um, 
some of the um, more woody things and the trees and the shrubbery around the garden of the allotment, then it goes into the hedgerow, base of the hedgerow, to thicken it up and to let other things take it or use it. And eventually it will rot down and it will feed those trees and bushes. So I'm a big fan of that. Council, council waste bins have encouraged, again, the tidy mind of let's just get rid of it and give it to somebody else to get rid. And yet there's so much usable material goes in those bins. And um, your like grass cuttings and your dried leaves and all that kind of stuff. All that. I mean, why, why would you put your leaves that come on your drive into a compost for somebody else to have and enjoy? Keep them separate in the main. So we have um, like a chicken wire netting, but stronger than that on our allotment. And we put leaves in there and we said to people, oh, you've bagged those. Thank you. I'll take those and have them off you. And they just rot down. Yes, they might take a year if they're in an open cage. If you leave them in, in the bags and pump holes into them, they actually work a lot quicker. So there's many ways of dealing with it. But leaf mould is wonderful stuff. Absolutely wonderful. And yet, but you're keeping that, are you keeping that separate from your the rest of your yeah we we do we put a bit of leaf matter in mm -hmm. um but in the main we keep it separate because really it doesn't feed the soil it more sort of opens it up it lightens the soil so it helps to get more oxygen in really um it, it doesn't produce a great deal of uh, feed as such it's other things we're reliant on as, as feed such as uh, well, all the plants. So the so the kitchen waste, um, all, all your coffee grains, your tea, um, your herbal tea, of course, fantastic material. Uh, all the stems that you would cut back from your echinaceas once they've finished and the seeds are, are done with, the cornflower stems, the verbena stems, anything. If you leave them at this time of the year, all the seeds gone, all the wildlife's had it, it's all disappeared. Um, so like calendula pot marigold. The, the stems, all the seeds gone, maybe it's dropped back into the earth ready for this year. That's what I'm hoping, as with the cornflower. But all that dry, um, woody stuff, as, as we think of, it's just snap it a bit, break it down a bit, but get it in. Comfrey seems to have not really died off that much over winter. It's gone a bit black, some of the comfrey leaves, when we had the really hard frost. But for a very long time, it, it was continuing to grow. But even the black leaves of the comfrey, they all go in because they're activators. So the comfrey goes in. Um, we make separate feed with comfrey as well, like we do with nettles. So nettle tops go in. All the nettle tops, if they've not already been used for other things. Eating them, yeah. As I was going to say, yeah. do you make, do you make um, like compost teas and things? Yes, yeah, both with nettle and with comfrey. And I like to use Bokkin 14. I have two different comfreys on my allotment. So they reckon that the, the better feed is with the Bokkin 14 of that comfrey. And then I've got another comfrey, it's in Phytomofficialis, which I use as medicine more. And are so you, two, two. when you're making your tea, are you just, are you cut, just like cutting them up and making like a tea and then pouring it in? Or are you just cutting it up, putting it into the compost? Yeah, I like to do what I call a fluid extract, which is just the leaves with no water. And then it produces its own liquid and that then doesn't smell the same. If you put it with water, it's a lot smellier, even with the nettles. It's quick and a lot of people do it that way. And you can if you want to. Um, but it's nice to make a fluid extract, the real dark, strong, black comfort liquid or so nettle liquid. It, put it in a bucket and cover it or something. Yeah, with a lid because flies are attracted to these things. So cover it up and just leave it, leave it somewhere in the shade. 
um, in a bucket and uh, forget about it and then have a look at it, take the lid off and then you've got this lovely black feed. And there's absolutely no need to buy fertilisers if you do this. So again, no money needs spending. And is that going in your compost or is that going on your ground? That's into the ground to feed the plants. Okay. Yeah. So some people think, you know, when they're growing tomatoes and things like that, oh, I need certain brands of fertiliser. Well, comfrey feed and nettle feed is far superior. Mm -hmm. I had a friend, um, you know how you get these like um, moon cups for when you've got periods? So she would yes. catch her blood and put mix it with a bit of water and then feed her tomatoes with it and she'd always say that it was like the most amazing feed and she had the most amazing tomatoes <laughs> yeah yeah well blood fish and bone they used to you know and still producing it really um so yeah ground up bones was was a common thing to be used any blood um in in the north of course where they make black puddings there's always a lot of blood in the Bolton and berry areas and things like that but farmers you see they always had an excess so if they didn't eat it they'd put it onto the land so it's nothing new. Mm -hmm. Same with urine. I mean, you know, Bob Flowerdew and various people can't be peeing in the compost. And I'm sure lots of guys do that on the allotment. Um, you know, and I do know some women, they have sheds, of course. So, um, you know, and if they don't want to use the communal toilet, which they haven't been able to do in over a year, how can they spend hours at the allotment? So if they have a shed, they can pee in a bucket and then they put it in the compost. <laughs> We're really getting down to basics now, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we've talked about um, observing and watching what's happening, I'm a great fan of throwing some annual seed on the top so that you can watch what comes up and what's actually activated. So I think you can't beat having flowers in amongst everything. Um, and some flowers just do their own thing. You don't have to start them in seed trays and pot out and all sorts of things. So if you had things like... Um, um, love in the mist nigella they, they come in various colors just scatter it in you can scatter it in now the earth's warming up and up if you had calendula pot marigold flowers just scatter it now so poppies of any sort um, would just scatter in um, just the, the very tiny seeds some of these so they're just on the surface really and you just is this just in your, in your land or your in your, in your land, whether it be your allotment, whether it be a garden, whatever it be, but just just pop the seed in and let nature do its own thing. And you know, you might not get the hundred and odd seed come up, but if you get 50, that's wonderful because everything that we plant we're sharing with nature. Mm -hmm. The mice, the birds, all sorts of things will take some seed. But you can protect it if you want to. You can put a cover on. You can put a netting on. Keep pigeons off or whatever. But you can you can certainly scatter seed and see what happens. And there's nothing more exciting than seeing things germinating. Yeah. You know, a ninety nine pence packet of seeds or a one pound fifty or whatever they may be, or better still, free seed from friends because people like myself can't help themselves but save seed and there's always far more than what I need so I, I take seed to herb society events for example and when I do herb walks and all sorts of things there's always packets of seed and there's also plants because I can share them I can dig them up there and then we can take them home and, and gardeners are generally generous just like nature's generous 
-hmm. We want to share it. We want others to appreciate it and and, and get as much enjoyment and yeah, love so as we do. From a gardening point of view, nettles are one of your really herbal allies because they have medicinal properties. So they're not just wonderful for eight of our British butterflies that can't survive without them. Um, they're not just good for creating um, feed and activating in our compost. They're actually food that we should see as a crop for us to actually eat and to drink, not only because of the vitamins and minerals they contain, but nettles are a natural antihistamine. And our ancestors knew that without even knowing perhaps the words antihistamine, but they knew that they, by using them, prevented being too sensitive at other times of the year when perhaps the pollen was high or they were having to shear the sheep or whatever so that the fluff and the dander wouldn't affect them. So people have always known that nettles are good for you. And we encourage people to consume them and consume them in good quantities. And they're actually far healthier than things like spinach, which people tend to conveniently buy in bags washed and chemically pumped in most cases. There are some organic, of course, around and people can grow their own. But nettles are the early spinach and chard. They're what people used to use. And of course, you can make them into pesto. You can put them in bread. You can do all sorts of things, soups, all sorts. They're, they're just another green. They're the spring green. And the gardeners that in the spring get so excited that they rush out and they start doing all the work and they haven't even done the stretching exercises and the warming up and they've been so static over winter that their bodies have seized up a bit and they rush out into the garden as soon as the sun shines and they start trying to do everything. All the joints ache and their muscles are tight and they get restless legs at night and then they get aches and pains and they put themselves off before they've even started as soon as the good weather comes because they overdo it. They do too much too soon when the body's not prepared and able to cope. So classic gardener's backs and gardener's knees and joints. And the older gardener in particular, they might be a, a bit arthritic. They might um, suffer from periods of time with gout even, all part of the uh, arthritis connection of health. And what is the very herb that actually helps them? It's nettle. <laughs> of nettle clears deposits it's the natural spring clean we've used for centuries it clears deposits in the body it's our natural internal spring clean so if we consumed nettle tea while we were gardening we would be helping those joints and muscles and we would be preventing ourselves seizing up and aching so much and of course, naturally go and have a magnesium bath when you get in, get the Epsom salts out and, and do everything else but gardeners so often are full of aches and pains. They always have bad knees and bad backs. And the older, <laughs> yeah. yeah really and, and the older they get, the more they think, oh, I won't be able to carry on doing this because of my aches and pains and because of my joints. And yet the very plants that they think they don't want on the plot are the ones they should be using. You know, so I encourage... On, on our allotment site, I encourage people to drink the nettle tea. I often have to make it for them and show them and explain and maybe mix it with some other herbs so they find it more palatable because they're so used to having China teas with milk and maybe sugar that nettle tea seems very earthy and strange. But some of us um, absolutely love it. It's a very different flavour though, isn't it? That when you, when you 
yeah. either pick it fresh or when or even if it's dried from your garden than if you buy buy it in from somewhere else yeah it's a world away isn't it it's it's so much more vibrant and it's earthy and there again it connects us with the earth it works on an energetic level as all herbs do um so there's there's much more to our connections with nature than just touching it looking at it tasting it it's that it's that true connection with our hearts that's the that's the important thing and and nettles are our natural spring detox is what the word has come in that people like spring clean is a word that others of us prefer and of course anything that's going to nourish and nurture us we should respect and nettles need a lot of respect they're, they're a wonderful plant wonderful herb yes they can be generous that some would say invasive but it's because they're talking to us the thing you talked about earlier they're talking to us use me i'm here to be used That's our big connection. <laughs> That's a really good tip for, for getting people outside to start with. <laughs> I think so. I think, I think it's so important. And I think it's perfect because we tend to think of late February, March is the spring cleaning. People do it in the homes. They need to do it in the bodies and they also need to do it in the brains. You know, the whole, the whole aspect of holistic health is, is so important. We need to clear the decks. We need to have a fresh start. And with what we've gone through and still lockdown limits, restrictions, it's difficult to deal with. And for some personalities, it's more difficult than others. And the pressure's on and the stresses and the anxieties have been all too great. So let's cleanse, let's nurture and let's restore. 